Today's spoken word is from Mark chapter 9, verses 17 through 27. And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood, and it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to him, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Holy Father, thank you, Lord, that we gather here today, we get a pause for this moment in time, reflect on this particular story. We ask God for the challenge and for the Spirit to lead us through this. In Jesus' name, amen. If, like myself, you were blessed last week with Danny's message as well, then and if you haven't listened to it, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to the first opening message of what she shared. Because her passage last week was pretty fantastic. It was a message of grace, a message of the stories and the stories that we know of each other. And as she shared within the short stories of Jesus, she shared really well that if we know each other's stories, we're better people, right? And so we should constantly grow by learning each other's stories. And I, and I love this and I appreciated what she said with that. But the story that Robin just read, that's a, that's a hard story. And that's a challenging story. And it's a different challenge, a very different challenge for us that we're going to consider today. Uh, Kim and I were, were chatting earlier this week uh, at the Taj and drinking some of that beautiful chai, hot chai tea. If you've never had it there, the sweet version is much better for you. Um, and so we were drinking this chai tea there and we were talking about life and I was sharing with her how kids have this incredible ability just to be able to look at human beings and, and kind of make a judgment call. Have you noticed this? Kids just know, oh, that adult 
creepy. Um, and that adult, great. And they just, they, they can lean and they just don't know this stuff, right? And they're just really, really good at this. Kids also, they have this ability, if you give them a piece of paper and, and you, you just tell them, and you give them a room uh, full of bricks, they can just build anything they want. They can build an entire planet. They can draw an entire world. They have no limitation to what they need to do with their imagination. They instinctively and creatively just know how to do this kind of stuff. Then we come along. We do, we do. Then, then we, just, we just appear in their lives. And we take all that creativity, all those instincts, and all that imagination, and we build the most intricate, complicated little boxes, and we capture it and we contain everything really, really well. And suddenly, we don't want to sing and we don't want to dance unless we've got the right moves. I mean, if I asked any of you, how many of you know how to dance? Yeah, now, how many of you really know how to dance? I mean, see, easy, you know, I mean, and how many of you know how to sing? No, and I'm sat next to some of you, and so you know the truth. I mean, <laughs> And then and if I said to you, you know, if I said to you, you know, build a Lego planet, a Lego planet, and I gave you all the Lego bricks, you would suddenly like be, oh, I don't know if I can do that anymore because the dimensions will not be right. We, we suddenly, we, we realize that we limit ourselves. The vastness of the universe, we, we start to realize there's data missing all the time. We have started to diminish the creativity and the passion inside this because we are moving from faithful to the faithless. Suddenly, we become faithless. And this is what we're talking about today, what it is to be faithless. Creativity and trust and imagination. Creativity, trust, and imagination. And they're all gone. They're all squashed. And I mean, and who wants to be faithless? I mean, really, faithful, yes, but faithless? No. Helpful, yeah. Useful, powerful, hopeful, careful, yeah, those are all great. But helpless. How many of us dream, I hope one day, I will be helpless. No. How many of us want to be useless? Mm. How many of us want to be powerless or hopeless or careless? I know some of you are careless, but it's okay. I mean, but none of us, none of us dream of that. No. The tragedy is that we end up becoming that so often because we squash all our creativity, our imagination, and our trust. So what do we do? What we do is we hire the self-help gurus. We really do. Uh, they write great books and lots of podcasts, and they come up with catchy phrases, and they talk to us, and some of them tell us, look in the mirror. And if you look in the mirror, you'll see how amazing you are. Some of them would even tell you, just, just tell yourself that you're a supermodel. Some of you know who I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. uh, just look in the mirror and tell yourself, you're like, I know, you're like, oh no, I know who you're talking about. Just look in the mirror and just tell yourself that you're a supermodel, and everything will be fine in your life. And I mean, seriously, uh, what are you really saying this? Well, I mean, if I tell myself that I'm a supermodel, what I'm really trying to tell myself, am I telling myself that I'm better than everybody else? Will that help me move from faithless to faithful? Because that I'm just looking better than everybody else? Look, this is, this is not the way of Jesus. It is a temporary fix. And, and don't get me wrong, okay? It's okay to have a little smidgen of self-help. I mean, maybe a little dollop, maybe a lot of it. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay to actually say, I need to feel a little bit better in life. I mean, I say it every day. I get up in the morning, and I look in the mirror, and I, and I look, and I just say to myself, 
zero defects. I mean, it's good, it's good. And I know you try to do the same, but you, you've got some issues. But I, I just do that, and it's, just, it's perfect, and it's fine. There's nothing wrong with believing that you're amazing, right? But this is not the root issue. Today, with that passage that Robin read, we have to go much deeper. We have to admit and engage that this short story is for everyone in this room that this short story is for everybody who's online, that everybody listens to this message afterwards. There's seven characters that are in play in the story. So there's a lot of moving pieces inside here. You've got the scribes that are arguing, and they're arguing about the cause. How, who made this boy, you know, deaf and mute? And you've got the crowd that's watching, and they're mocking the disciples that failed to be able to expel the evil spirit from here. You've got the disciples that are just splitting over this. They're depressed and dejected because they tried and they failed. And they're like, I don't know, maybe, maybe if, I just, if I just was more religious and more, I don't know. Then you've got the father who's begging, saying, if I had the mustard seed of faith, I have this mountain of doubt. Please help my unbelief, which is a phenomenal passage. You've got the child that's convulsing and silent and deaf since the earliest years. You've got the evil spirit that's harming, causing this child and family to have scars, physical and emotional ones. And then you have Jesus who's confronting, who casts out the demon, raises the boy, confronts the disciples, and needs them to move from faithless to faithful. And all of this happens in those short little verses. Such a short story. I mean, I was talking to a group of uh, pastors and leaders this week on Wednesday, and, uh, and I was just discussing the text with them for a few minutes, and, and we were discussing whether, is this text complicated, right? And Elijah remembers this. And uh, one of the guys was like, oh, no, it's really easy. And I was like, really? Yeah, yeah, just believe. And it's just done. I was like, really? I don't think it's that easy. I think it's actually a little bit more complicated than this. I think, I think you need to just pause a little bit longer in this text and just kind of like pull yourself back. I mean, just the context alone let alone the text. The context alone is complex. Mark 1, 15, right at the very beginning of Mark, right? You hear that Jesus says that his mission in the whole of Mark, he says this, believe in the gospel. Believe in the good news. Jesus, when he talks to Jairus and he says to him about his child and says, I'm going to raise this child, he says, do not fear, only believe. That's what he says to him. Then we take the text and we allow ourselves just a soak in the text. You, do you ever do this? I hope you, when you read the daily walk, you allow yourself to soak in the text. And by soaking the text, I'm not talking about like in a bathtub. That's pretty good stuff as well, like you leave the Bible inside the bathtub. I'm talking about you read it and allow your mind to spend time thinking about the text. And if you do, you have to ask yourself, does the story address fear and belief? Does the story, in fact, address any interesting questions? Or is the story really boring? Is the story really simple? Well, I, I thought about the story, and I thought, yeah, it's got some interesting questions. So here are a few of the questions. Why are the scribes arguing in front of a great crowd? Why are three other disciples up there, and there are nine disciples down here not able to do it? Why were they amazed when Jesus came down? What had happened? Why did the evil spirit possess the child in the first place? Why did the disciples fail? at casting out the evil spirit. Is epilepsy today 
possession of an evil spirit. You know, people say this. If we say in the name of Jesus, have you heard people say this? If you say the name of Jesus, the evil spirits depart. How is it that when Jesus steps forward and the evil spirit sees him, he stays? If Jesus is upset, or is he frustrated? Is Jesus being sarcastic here, or is he being serious? How long will this faithless generation last? Is us? Are we still faithless? If all things are possible, right, because the Bible says this, why do we not see more miracles today? Is it because my prayer life is weak and miserable? Do I just need to spend time on my knees more? Do I need to lay down on the ground? When Jesus said to the evil spirit, never enter again, does that mean the child was saved forever? When the evil spirit left, what did the boy say and hear? What are we called to say and hear today? And what does possession look like today? Nobody likes to talk about that one. And why the disciples underestimate the power of the evil spirit. So I, I wrote down another 400 questions, but I stopped right there, just for you. The thing is this, when you're studying this kind of stuff, there is so many questions inside here. And we, we could touch all of this kind of stuff, but I'm just going to touch on a few. And we're really kind of like at the Duplo level uh, right here. And, and I'm just going to put a little bit of sprinkling, a little bit of sprinkling of technique. And uh, I know for some of you, you're thinking, what is he talking about right now? And so some of you, you're thinking, I know exactly what he's talking about. So for those of you who have a bingo card, mm -hmm, uh -huh, I know who you are. For those of you who have no idea what I'm talking about, just stay focused with me. The Duplo and Technic metaphor is a brilliant metaphor. I don't know who thought of it, but I did. And uh, it's a way to look at the Bible. And when you look at the Bible, you can look at the Bible and you can say to yourself, hey, this is how I look at the Bible. I can look at it like Duplo, like the big picture, or Technic, really small. And if you want to study this and you want to understand this, you can go to our website, boulder.church forward slash Bible. Boulder.church forward slash Bible. On there, you can explore all the Bible study options. You can sign up for a Bible study, and you can even uh, say to us, hey, I'd like to actually get involved in this, and we can help you out. But if you're going to study the Bible, you need to get a really good Bible. And you're wondering, what is a really good Bible? Anybody know what a really good Bible is? I hope you're going to say mine is. Yes, it is. You're right. Mine is a really good this is a really good Bible. And you're like, what, is, what makes a really good Bible is that it, it doesn't have like hardback. I know you, you're thinking you should have a hardback. You do not want to have a hardback Bible. If you have a hardback Bible, I apologize now. You, want to, you don't want to have like bonded leather or calfskin. You want to have goatskin. Goatskin. Really nice. You want to have goatskin because it's really supple. It's fantastic. You want to have wide margins inside the Bible. You know why? Because inside wide margins, you can write inside your Bible. It's really, really good. And then you want to have a Bible that just kind of opens up and it has what I refer to as floppability, right? Because it just says, read me. That's what it does. You just open it like, yeah, read me. That's what it is. So you want to have a really good Bible. Everybody needs one of these. If you don't have a really good Bible, come and talk to me and we will help you get a really good Bible. But back to the text today. If, yes, if you forget everything I say, which is actually possible, I know, I've talked to people before, and they're like, what did you say? Mm -hmm. uh, if you forget everything I say, and you don't have the manuscript in front of you, I want you to hear this. The Jesus that I speak of, yes, there are many who speak of Jesus. The Jesus that I speak of, and yes, there are many who are confused about this. The Jesus that I speak of that's lifted from these pages, the Jesus that I speak of wants to move you when you're ready 
from faithless to faithful. That's it. I know you can kind of like switch off right now, but that's all you need to remember the whole entire sermon. The text in Mark, God says, I want to move you from faithless to faithful. You need to memorize that, store it, share it, put it in there. Faithless to faithful. Simple as that. So I actually only have two questions that we're going to look at today. Two questions, these two questions. What does faithfulness to Jesus look like today? And what does Jesus need to remove from our lives today? Two questions, two challenges that I think will move us from faithless to faithful. So ready for question number one? It's in your worship guide and it's on the screens as well. What does faithfulness to Jesus look like today? Now in order to understand what faithfulness to Jesus looks like today, you have to kind of get the bigger picture inside here. You have to understand the context of where the story took place inside here and understand the wider picture all the time. With the wider story, you start to see this thread that's been woven all the way through. And here's the truth. It's not the amount of faith we have, but the object of faith we have. Do you understand the difference? It's not the amount of faith that we have. It's actually the object of faith we have. So it's not that if I have enough faith, I will be able to do what God has called me to. It's actually if I have faith in the one who has the power to do things. If I'm able to look to the one who is able to do stuff, and he is the one who does stuff, then everything's going to be okay. It's not about the amount of prayer that you're in. It's about who you are praying to. If you're praying to Jesus... It's the right thing to do. It's not about all the teachings. It's not about putting, it's about putting all of your trust into Jesus. It's about lifting Jesus up because he says that he draws all of humanity. In fact, there's this famous text that he has in John 5. He says this, you search the scriptures, which I love to do. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. The Bible exists for us to discover Jesus. That's what it is. So we can have life. He is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. And faithfulness is captured in Jesus. Full stop. All. Full stop. So simple as that. When I see Jesus, he points me to the Father. When I see the Father, he sends me to the Spirit. And when I see the Spirit, he sends me forward to Jesus. It's a dance. It's a movement And they are the Trinity. And they all move in this purpose, in this direction. And get this, they are not in competition. And this is really important because I know some of you are very competitive with yourself. (laughs) They are not in competition. God the Father is not saying, hey, check out my title. Son, Jesus, lower, smaller. I want you to step aside. No, you must be less because I am the Father. Holy Spirit is not saying, hey, you know what? I bring millions of people into a relationship with us. Therefore, I am the greatest one. Jesus is never saying, hey, ignore the Father, ignore the Spirit. He's saying, no, I actually departed, went to heaven so that you may have the Spirit. He said, when you see me, you see the Father. They are not in competition, which was the problem with the nine disciples that stayed behind because they were in competition with all the others. They're like, Jesus, why did you take those three up the mountain? We got to stay behind. And we had to like deal with these demons. And we're so angry that I just, I don't know. And so disappointed that we didn't get to go up to the mountain with you. And so they forgot 
their mission. And their mission was that at times to proclaim the gospel, they would have to cast out these evil spirits. Even Peter, he was part of the three. And we love Peter. He's up on the mountain there. Note that he didn't come down and cast out the evil spirits. He let Jesus step forward there. Because Peter understood this. I mean, he's up there on the mountain, right? And he, he sees, and this text takes place just before our story that Robin read. It says that Jesus, he sees Jesus there, and he sees that he's got Elijah and Moses there. And he says to them, he says, let me, let, let me, Jesus, let me build you, Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, some tents. Let me, I'm, I'm a master builder. Let me, let me make you a shrine that just looks good because... I'm kind of scared of you right now. I'm not quite sure what to do. I just can't stop speaking. And I just need to insert myself in the middle of a conversation that has nothing to do with me, but I I just need to be in the middle of this because I have to be in the middle of everything, Peter. Just be silent. Just step aside. Wait. Be pause. No, but he can't. He can't. Even Peter, when he's out on the water, he he just turns around and says, check it out. And he's just like, I'm sinking now because he just realizes that he's falling inside there. If your marriage is a competition with all the other husbands and all the other wives where you can prove that you're the better husband and you're the better wife. Get this, you're going to fail miserably if your parenting is all about how you can be the best father and the best mother and you're competing with all the other fathers and all the other mothers. You're going to fail so rapidly. When you exist to lift each other up, you start to become faithful and you emulate the Trinity. Let me give you a, a Technic glimpse here, because I love the Technic always. I, I got a lot of Technic cars in my office. You need to come and see them. They're really good. Jesus comes down off the mountain, and they are in awe. I don't know what your translation says. My Bible translation says that they looked at him, and he had this white clothing, and it looked like it had been bleached. It was super bright, because he had been covered with the Shekinah glory of God. He'd been in the middle of this Mount of Transfiguration. In the few moments, while they're squabbling, fighting the scribes and the crowd and the disciples, and they're mocking the disciples. And I don't know if you've ever had these moments where you're just like, you're singing hallelujah to God, and everything's going really, really well, and suddenly somebody comes and tells you, my toilet's blocked. It just kind of destroys the moment, doesn't it? And you're just like, oh, I want to go back over here. You know, and you're just like, you're really, really happy. You're just like, you had your morning devotional. You just sat down with God and you read through the daily walk and you thought, yes, I'm really good. And then, and then your family wakes up. Like, why, Lord? Why? Why me? Why did they have to exist? Couldn't have just been in a cave, you know? And then you realize how much you like them for about another five seconds. And then you're like, oh, you know, this, this is the reality. Or you go downstairs and you're just like, oh, I, I didn't empty out the dishwasher. Actually, I didn't load it. Ah, oh, these are the realities of life. And this is what Jesus does. He comes from the mountain, this incredible moment, and they're like squabbling. And they failed miserably. But up in that mountain, up in that mountain, he's meeting these two people, Elijah and Moses. And I got to ask myself, why those two? Why those two? I mean, of all the people in the planet, of all the people in the entire universe, why those two? Could it be? Could it be that in these final moments that Jesus is leading up to the cross, 
to the resurrection, to the glorification of everything that he's about here, that he wanted to have two symbols. Moses, who represented those who one day will die and Jesus will resurrect. And Elijah, who when Jesus returns will be alive and will be just translated straight to heaven. Could it be that these men knew what the loneliness and the hardship of mission is all about? That these men knew the lows and the successes, that they knew what it's like to be in the wilderness for years, struggling, working through mission by themselves, that they knew that they had to rely on God for every single situation which the disciples did not know. Could it be that they represented the law and the prophets? Moses, the law, Elijah, the prophets often referred to, combined together as the Old Testament that I like to refer to as the First Testament, that they're in conversation with Jesus, often referred to as the Gospel, sometimes referred to as the New Testament, that I like to refer to as the Second Testament. Could it be that these two are the Law and the Prophets and the Gospel, and the three of them are all wrapped up into one and one great conversation? Could it be that Jesus was blessed by those he created? Could it be that we are blessed by our children, blessed by those we serve, blessed by those we love, blessed by those we take care of? Then you hear the father speak. He says, hey, Elijah, hey, Moses, hey, Peter, James, John, step aside. (laughs) This guy, Jesus, is my son. He is God. He's my beloved son. And he utters these words. Listen to him. Listen to him. Being faithful is letting go of competition and listening to Jesus. Easy? Never. Being faithful is letting go of all the competition and listening to Jesus. So they head down the mountain And in this incredible moment of joy, when they're fired up from an incredible encounter here, and they're saying, bring it on, Satan does. And with a crowd mocking them, he says, they're faithless. Jesus, you're false. Your disciples are false. The gospel's not true. The mission is over. And Jesus, he just steps forward into the middle of this chaos and craziness. And he says, this will be dealt with. He confronts the Father to let him know that his faith is not going to make the difference. We argue about this all the time, my friends. We say, Lurkson, you just have to believe more. Just believe more, struggle more, have more faith, and God will come forward. And Jesus says, you know what? I'm going to do this. It's not your faith that does this. Your, your doubting, your massive unbelief, you just have to put your trust into me. Your minuscule, insignificant little mustard seed. And get this, if what you're requesting lines up with the gospel mission that needs to be declared, I will respond. And this is what we find so difficult because we would really like God to align his mission with our lives instead of aligning our lives with God's mission. This is why we, we, we manipulate God. This is why we actually want Christianity to be more like another religion, a religion that we can have an idol where we take God and just put him aside here and control him. 
And God's saying, well, I'm the one in control. And I have the plan. And the plan is to get rid of sin once and for all. So for every single one person in this room, and for those online who understand this, we've all wept at the bedside. We've all wept at the graveside. We've all wept with God and begged him for the help. And we've asked God over and over again, I need this one thing to be solved. And when you think God is not listening to you, he's saying, that, that begging, that, that little conversation we're having, this is you learning how to take that smidgen of faith and all the unbelief that you have, and you're laying it in my lap. And believe me, I've got it. And I'm going to do something. You just got to hang in there with me. Because I will, when the time is right, do the right thing for you and for the world. Believe me, God has this bigger plan and he will always do what's right. Prayer is not for us to have more power. Prayer is for us to give everything to God who has all the power. We, we've, we've got to reverse our entire paradigm of this. We are faithless because we believe that we should be God. We are faithful when we realize that he is God and we are humans who need him. And the more we realize that we need God, the stronger we are because he's the one who's going to handle all of this stuff. This brings us to our burning question that's underneath the entire story and our second and last question this morning. What does Jesus need to remove from our lives today? Listen, my friends, I know that we try, and the struggle is real. Jealousy of others and struggling in your work or in relationships, it's horrible. Lying because the shame to have to admit that what's going on tears us apart even more. So we fabricate stories upon stories upon stories to lie, and it just, we build this bigger and bigger hole just because we can't admit what's really going on in our lives. Gossiping, just because we can't stop telling bad stories, because when we tell a bad story about somebody else, it makes us feel better because we can knock them down inside there, damaging everybody. We are, you see the blank? We are, and this is the truth, you can fill in that space inside there with all sorts of horrors, with difficult things, with shameful acts, with malicious thoughts. It's blank. It's blank for a reason because it's just always heavy. But my friends, if you take everything to Jesus, if you say, I, I'm like that father who just, I just don't know what to do anymore and I just need to give it over to you. If you, if you are willing to just give it all to Jesus and say, God, you take care of this kind of stuff. I, my, my shame, my, my lying, my gossiping, all the things that I struggle with every single day and just say, God, the pain of my life, I give it to you. If you say, I want to be part of this gospel story. If for one moment you say, I want to move away from just being faithless to being fully faithful and putting my trust in you, we are children of God. That's what happens. He transforms that blank, he takes it away, and he makes it into the most beautiful thing and says, we are the children of God. And that's what I want for us today. So, I don't know where you are in your walk with God, but if you have not felt that you are a child of God, I need to tell you that this is what this entire book is trying to tell us over and over again, that we are created to be his children. And we have, we have meandered. 
we have actually sometimes ran away from God. That's what these short stories are about. That no matter how far we run away, God is saying, let me bring you home. So if you're struggling and you just don't know how to be able to walk back home, take out a Connect card today. Fill it in, put it inside here. Come and talk to any of the pastors today if you don't want to fill in the Connect card. Let us start you back on the path. There's nothing as beautiful as being free in Jesus. To be able to have the creativity, the trust, and the imagination. There has got to be a reason why Jesus said from the very beginning that to enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to be like a child, right? It's because a child has implicit trust in the one who is authentic. And the one who is authentic is Jesus. So let's start to look to him to be our finisher of our faith, the one who can complete us, the one who can do everything in our lives. Do not wait another day. Today is a day. Let me pray for you, and then a lion, our team, will lead us as we respond in worship. Heavenly Father, the struggle that we face, God, it is great to be able to sing to your name. Because when we lift your name, we know that the struggle we face, you just squash away, that you change. We are horrible to we are children of God. God, transform our lives. Make us into who you want us to be. May we be the children that you've desired. In Jesus' name, amen.